0: Hey everyone, this is Pastor Steven. I wanted to thank you for checking out our podcast, and we hope that this message encourages you and helps you in your pursuit to live for Christ with everything you have. We hope you enjoy the message. But in all reality, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we've been in the series called The Wait." And I know Brother Jack, I joke around with him because one Sunday, or one, one morning at breakfast, he looked at me and he says, hey, Pastor, are we about done with that wait series? I said, Brother Jack, I know you're almost 93, but are you impatient? <laughs> and he says, no, no, no. He's a good, he says it's a good series, but I'm just am waiting to see when we're going to start getting into our Easter series. And that'll be next week. We're going to start going into the next series. Um, it 's going to be called the Way of the Cross or the Way to the Cross, and, and it 's a phenomenal aspect as we look at the historical revelation of what Jesus unfolded as he went to the cross. so you don 't want to miss that, but this week i 'll be honest, God has messed me up because it wasn 't exactly what I thought I was going to be preaching on. You know, I think it 's phenomenal when he does that sometimes, but it 's also a little bit more stressful because when he does it to me. And I just get so just lost into my studies that it's hard to put down on words all that I've learned. I joke around. There are some days that I come in here and I'm like, I have 45 pages of notes that I have prepared and you are never going to hear half of those. Can I get an amen? You don't want to hear 45 pages of notes. You'll be here for five hours at least. Because if it's evident... Two pages of notes usually takes me 45 minutes. But one of the things that he's been speaking to me is really rooted in the fact that what Habakkuk chapter 2 kind of brings up, if you'll put that up there for me this morning, Yetta, It's been a, a, a scripture that we've been looking at for weeks, and it says, for still division awaits it's a point in time. And it hastens, no, it's the one before that. It's verse 2. Do we not have it? Oh yeah, she says no. Let's go to it real quick. <clears throat> Scripture reads it as this. In verse chapter 2 it says, And then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on the tablets, <clears throat> that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it, tarries and waits, though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. See, that was a scripture that we talked about last week as we were thinking about writing it clearly. And I told you all about my buttermilk story. But my job as a pastor is to give you God's word and try to make it as clear and concise as you can understand it. And it's not always an easy task because so many times the words that I say can become so fluffed up with knowledge that it doesn't, it, it's too much and then sometimes it's so lame that people overlook it because it sounds so simple. But it's, his word has got so much more importance if we would just take note of it and actually dive into it a lot more this week he has had me messed up because i wanted to go and start talking about david and goliath this week and then in my prayer and my and my time of seeking god's will for what he wanted me to do he brought this scripture into my heart and i couldn't get away from it and i and i and i I, i'll be honest it's not one that's going to be easy for you to hear because it has an impact on your life and the waiting that we have. Because if you follow us on the social media stuff this week, I did put out a story that kind of highlighted what we're going to go talk about. Where we live in a world that's what we call carpe diem. You guys know what that means, right? To seize the day. We live every single day with the idea that we're going to conquer it. And we live our lives seeking God with everything that we have in our desire to rule over it. But you were never given the authority to rule over the day. You were given the authority to work through the day. And it's a task and it's hard. Because what happens when God starts speaking to us when we're trying to rule through the day and he gives us a word and it doesn't fall in line? with what we want to hear. What happens when when it's a word that God is saying, you've been waiting for the answer, and when I give you the answer, it's a little bit more sticky, it's a little bit more poignant, it's a little bit more abrasive than what you would expect that you've been praying for. You see, we wait for the Lord. Let me tell you, the church of God that I, I, I got and got learned up into and, and got educated into my understanding of theological aspects, every single Sunday I kept hearing, We're waiting for that trumpet to sound. And then we know that the rapturing and the twinkling of an eye will be with the Savior in heather, heaven and we won't have to go through the great tribulation. We keep waiting for for the miracles to occur, occur. We keep praying and asking God to move situations, to soften hearts. But sometimes they don't occur the way we would desire. And in this scripture that God so held me to the axe and the grindstone on this week that I couldn't move away from it, It, it left me a little bit shaken because it comes out of Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter six verses one through four, it says, Flee for safety, O people of Benjamin, from the midst of Jerusalem, blow the trumpet in Keoah and, and raise a signal in Beth, heaven good luck singing that one. For the disaster looms of the north, out of the north and the destruction, and the lovely, delicately Bread I will destroy, the daughters of Zion. Shepherds from their flock shall come against her, and they shall pitch their tents around her, and the pastures, each in his own place. Prepare for war against her. Arise and let us attack at noon. Woe to us for the declines, for the shadows of the evening lengthens. Let us pray. Lord, you know where I'm going. I've studied. But God, let our hearts be softened and tendered to hear what you're trying to speak to us this morning. We wait for you. We long for you. But Lord, we need to understand that sometimes you're speaking words that we might not always want to hear. Let it be that today, Lord, as you touch us. Minister to our hearts and minds and accept the word that you've given us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll be honest. It's a weird text to start off with because when you read it at first glance, it's not always what it is in the context that it's supposed to be read. Because what we have to understand is a lot of pastors could go through and cherry pick out a piece of scripture in this, like the part where it says the shepherds and the flock come against her. And we think, oh, that's great because that's a pastoral reference and I need to go to battle for this. But the context of it is completely contrary to what we would want to take from it. Because what we have to understand is, is the context of the prophet that was speaking and writing these words down clear and plain for the people of Israel and Judea to read it. He was trying to make it well known and understandable. And if you know anything about Jeremiah, he was known as the prophet, or the, the weeping prophet. What? The weeping prophet? I mean, a, a prophet's supposed to be all that in a bag of chips and no, and they have that mighty. No. He was known as the weeping prophet because he went through and faced such adversities with every bit of word that God would declare upon the people. See, Jeremiah would come up and proclaim a word and want a desire to lead the people because that's what God was actually asking them to do with the truth of what God was speaking. But the hardness of the hearts of the people would reject it Continuously. They would go with the status quo. They would go with the the mundane task and think that their life was it. Speaking a little New Age there, it. All right. But they were not understanding what, 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 what Jeremiah was trying to awaken up within them, within all of Judea was the fact of the moral corruption that was strickening the people. The political malfeasance That was in the palaces. The religious shifts of worshiping things that were created instead of the creating God. And better yet, the lack of community. These are the things that Jeremiah would often tell the people to get ready and and, and to get their act together, and they would just throw up their hands and say, We're good. But that's the thing that we are often looking for in our own lives. If I were to ask you, do you see those things in our society today? You would absolutely say a thousand percent. There's divisions because of, of, of ideals. There's, there's, there's lack of communication and a lack of understanding that needs to go into our society. Lord knows you can't even talk to people about politics. Whether we're Democrats, Republicans, or trying to be the middle of the road. There's a complete wide gap, almost like walking across dry ground that, that God's allowed in the Red Seas. But it's not dry ground, it's mucky and it's going to surround you and, and drown you in it like it did the chariots of the Egyptians. But what we have to understand is that in the context that Jeremiah was getting into, he was speaking a word to these people about their corruption and God trying to awaken their hearts Because the Chaldeans were coming. If you don't know anything about that, the Chaldeans took over and they were part of the Babylonian community and they would come in and they would devour. They were like locusts. They would take everything that you could find and they would take it for themselves. Jeremiah was warning his people that destruction was coming. See, these people were praying. God, waking up these people, take their hearts and soften them. God, show us who we're supposed to really worship. God, help me with my finances. God, do this, do that. And there came a point where the waiting and the message that came through was not what they wanted to hear. Instead, they got told to flee. If you were right with me, run. I can't stop what everybody else is doing. I can only do what I can do to, to, to save my own life and try to get whoever I can around me to go with me. But that's a struggle that we deal with in our own lives, and our weights. Because when the word comes so heavily on our lives, we don't often have the time to ponder, but yet we desire to ponder even greater and doubt what God is saying. We see that in the humanity of the world today and in the church. We think that we have all the time in the world to get our act right when things are falling apart all around us we often think that we have to have all the processes properly put in place without understanding that there's ramifications if we do not take the time to understand what is actually required it's like teaching my kids how to balance a checkbook You have money in the account, yes. You have a plastic card that might let you spend a little bit. But if that count goes to zero, you have nothing. So you need to be mindful about when you go to the store, how much you're actually spending. It's like the family struggles in understanding the root causes that come through it. The strife and the dysfunction that kicks up and causes more generational issues. Or better yet, some of the guys and gals in here might understand this analogy. It's like having to diagnose a car issue because your car is not running properly. Growing up, my grandpa, he had a 1971 Ford LTD. This thing was a boat. He knew that car inside and out. He knew when it was not firing right on the, on the, 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 the spark plug. He knew exactly which one it was according to how it felt and all these different things. You see, he, he took time to understand it and ponder it and, and, and took time to, to really have that relationship with what he was looking for because what we have to understand is is that what we can really do in our own lives is truly ponder God's will for our life. Other issues that, that we struggle to, to ponder truly and deeply is the political officials that we elect into office. It's the jobs we decide to take because we don't actually understand what is being required for us. And we don't really take into account outside of the idea of what the paycheck is if we're capable of working there. Because we didn't actually take time to meet some of the coworkers that wouldn't possibly drive you out. Or it's about the time of people that we hang around. You see, what I'm getting at is is that that we ourselves would love to just take a map and point randomly and just say, let me go. You ever met people like that? They're like, I want to go on a vacation. Oh, I I guess I'm going to Denver. That's how a lot of the times the Christian church works sometimes, too. You you don't believe me? I've met people that say, I'm going to ask God to give me a word, and I'm just going to go, ooh. And it goes, but the former governors who were born before me laid their burdens on the people. God, how is that going to answer my truth that I need right now? It doesn't. Because you're not taking the time to ponder it, but, but you're waiting till the last minute to even think about pondering the word that God has given us the revelations that he's exposed to us and is through his prophets, through his, through his apostles, through the people that wrote, uh, wrote the entire Bible. Better yet, through people that have actually studied it and learned it through the theological aspects of it that can help us to understand the depth and the meaning that this is. No, but too often, what we look for is a life where we think it's all gonna bake up just like a cake should without actually looking at the back of the box and understanding the instructions can I tell you right now there are instructions on the book at the back of a a baking box they don't always relate to us here there was one time I baked a cake here and it tasted delicious then I went up to Denver and tried to bake the same cake it didn't taste delicious because there are different directions for the altitude in which you go to to where the cake can bake properly at that and have the same texture and flavor and aspects that you would desire it's about understanding that under, that there's greater depth within it but for some reason in the church today we struggle To to really grasp the idea of what what the waiting process that God is asking for us to do because we are not comfortable within it. We are not comfortable when his word comes at us and it's a little bit more defiant than what we would want. Or or distracting, or, or, or better yet, it's a little bit more... Cumbersome is another word for it. Difficult. Because what we don't like is the the idea that something could cause a little bit of friction in our lives. We all like it smooth selling. the car running down the road, no issues, no grinding, nothing. We're flying and we're great. But can I tell you a truth that many people often overlook? It's that conflicts are the frictions of growth. It's the friction that allows you to keep moving. If you look at a car if you didn't have friction you'd go nowhere because the friction transfers from the tires to from the road and it goes into the body of the car and propels it forward there is friction that has to be going it's the friction in our lives that allows so much radical truth to be exposed that is what happens in our lives is that the friction, when it rubs against something else, it transforms pieces of our lives to make us aware of it. It's like a spouse where you go to work all day long and they're stuck at home with the kids and you come home and there's friction. At least somebody says it. I'm sorry, I can remember Melissa being a stay-at-home mom. I come home from work and she says, okay, the kids are yours. And I look at her and I said, honey, I'm tired too. And she says, well, I've dealt with them all day. They're your people now. But what I've learned is is that it's in that friction, that that moment, there's a decision I can make. I can either reject her or I can actually communicate with her and ponder what she's asking of me and, and understanding greater depth within it. But she also has to do the same on my end. You see, or you have one side where, where you go out and talk to one people outside and, 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 and you get stuck with the baby. Let's see here. Another example would be later in life when the kids are all grown and, and, and you're struggling to figure out your identity because the kids were your identity and your husband or or, or you guys are going out and you can't figure it out and you're not letting that friction that builds up become a catalyst to where you can open up and actually dialogue with what what the struggles are? You see, we have to understand that there is a strife that's going to kick up in every relationship, including ours with God. Because what we're trying to do is to learn something beyond where we're at because we have to get outside of our comfort zone. Or better yet, the discomfort of reality. It's almost like this. We live our lives getting ready to go fight a bully in our imaginations. You ever done that before? You had that one kid pick on you so much, and all you did was you daydreamed, oh, I'm going to go in there, and I'm just going to pop, and they're going to fall. It's going to be like David and Goliath, and everybody's going to go all around me, and it's going to be like Ralphie from the Christmas story where he's the victor with the little BB gun. But the reality sets in when you go to shoot that thing and it shoots your eye out. Or better yet, sometimes when you go up and face the bully, the bully just knocks you completely on your backside. See, the discomfort of this life is meant to be the catalyst of the awakening of truth that you need to find. It has to be the place where you're walking around and you're saying, okay, what is it that's going on that I should become aware of, that I should ponder it? You see, what we have to look at is when Jeremiah is getting the prophecy about the Chaldeans are coming, and all he's doing is saying, danger, 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 Will Robinson, danger. Danger. Yes, I'm old enough to know that too. But the truth is, he's going around saying it, and and he's calling out his people. He's saying, Benjamin, get ready and flee. Let me tell you, Jeremiah was not the first one to preach and and to prophesy about the destruction of Israel and Judea. He was another one in the long list of prophets that kept going up saying, get your act right. It's getting a little uncomfortable. You think that God is going to keep blessing you if you're not going to walk according to his statutes and standards? He, he, he's, he's coming up saying, hey, I'm not the first. But God told me, uh, it's not going to turn out pretty for you. You kept waiting for the miracle to happen. You kept asking God, God, if you are real, take these people so they don't hurt us. And when God spoke to the prophet, he says, no. I can't do what you asked in the waiting process that you think you should have because I'm not the genie that Aladdin had that I'm going to miraculously give you three wishes and make it all okay for you. He says, I want to get you right first. I want to get you right where I need you to be. I want to get you to understand that there's a love that has to go beyond. That's why I love that Jeremiah, in the very beginning of the text, he yells out to Benjamin. But why is that so important? Because Benjamin was in the northern part of the nation where the Chaldeans were going to hit first. Better yet, the Benjamins were the tribe of Jeremiah. They were his people. They were the ones that were found around the city of Jerusalem in the northern parts of the hillsides. And when he got the word... He wrote it out. He says, I love my family so much. I need to warn them. I need to warn them that if they don't get this right, I can't promise them that they're going to survive. If I don't get this friction right and get something where they start realizing that this little bit of fire that's building up in their backside is going to cause them so much destruction, if they don't get up and move, they're lost. I don't care about the strife and the struggles that I've dealt with. I don't care about the issues that I've encountered with them. But I see the love that, I, that Jeremiah has for his people as he's trying to awaken them up. saying, it's time. God's not promising deliverance for you. But if you leave now, there's a chance that your life might be valuable and cast in the favorability of God that he'd keep you away from the Chaldeans. see, what I'm trying to say is it's not about getting the attention of the church or the online ministries that we have that, that, that we get to the historical point of the truth of what Jesus and, and what Jeremiah and all of God was trying to write for the people. What I'm trying to get at is, is there's got to be a point where we understand that there's going to be a time that God says enough is enough is enough is enough When he says there's not going to be anything else left, it's enough. And we're looking around going, where do I go? You see, what I, what I keep feeling that God is trying to get the church to wake up to, not just this church, but everybody that would hear this message, is it's got to be a time of an awakening to pass a religious movement. It's got to be greater than what we are because we're listening to people saying, get ready, the trumpet's going to sound. But how many of us are calloused? That we've been hearing that God is going to come back for 2,000 years now and we haven't seen a hide or hair of him. But yet God is still speaking. He's saying, hey, if you'll walk in my statutes and if you'll follow my commands, I'll give you blessings. But if you're not willing to do it, good luck. You see, Jeremiah didn't expect to be the prophet that would be helping to call down destructions of his own people's land. He didn't expect to try to lead people back to God, just to be alone on the journey along the way, thinking that people would follow him, but they never would. Jeremiah prayed, I'm sure, God, move. God, breathe. And his heart was broken when he looked back and saw nobody. Can I ask you a question this morning? Who are you leading? Who are you actually having follow you along this life's journey to show them his goodness and his mercy? Not with a religious idea, but with the understanding that your relationship with the Savior can save every bit of who they are too. That's why I love it that that Jesus even told us this. He says in John chapter sixteen, verse thirty-three, "I have told you these things so that you, or that in me, that you may have peace." Oh, that promise of wonderful peace! That in me you may have peace, and in the world you will have tribulations, struggles, hardships, issues, dealing with people, car breakdown. All the different things might happen. But he says, hey, you, in that, you will have peace within me. But in the world, you're going to have hardships. And you're going to have these tribulations kicking in. But take heart. I have overcome the world. That's our reassurance that we have. That's the reassurance that, that even Jeremiah, I'm sure, was holding on to as he was walking every single day, prophesying to the people. Get up! Follow me. It's almost time. You thought you're waiting for peace and prosperity, but God's got something else going on, but I'm trying to give you that peace and prosperity, but you have to follow me. You've been waiting for too long for for that struggle. You keep thinking that it's all going to be roses in all of your life, but let me tell you right now, it's not always that way. You ask me how I know? Because I've read this Bible. I've seen the complexity of people's relationships and I've not seen all the rose-covered images that need to come through. I saw how David stole another man's wife. I saw how Job suffered even though he was a righteous man after God's own heart. I saw countless men and disciples that followed Jesus die for the cost of following him and proclaiming the truth. I don't believe that this faith that we're walking into, this, this, this relationship with Jesus is one that's going to have no tribulations. Oh, I know wholeheartedly that there's going to be a time where I'm going to be asked, am I a follower of Jesus? And if I say no, then I'm a wretched man. I know that there's going to be a time where we have to get to a place where the word of God is warning us that judgment is coming. You may want to live your life, but you got to be careful because damnation is truly a place that we can get into. You may want to choose your own identity, but God already set that in stone. You may want to choose your own path, but I still hold on to the promises where he says my righteous right hand will lead you along this path. That's why Proverbs 16, 9 is still and always will be my favorite scripture. Man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord will establish his steps. That's been my motto. But if I keep trying to go my own way, how long until I let go of his hand? You may want to worship the things of this world, the finances, the gadgets, the gizmos, the ideas of, of, of philosophies and different things like that, but, but, but God's word is trying to say it's not about that worship. It's all meant to, for me. And even some people in this world want to be like God. They've fallen in the trap of Adam and Eve where they thought they could eat from the apple of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. But they found the hardships that come through it. But I still get to hold on to the promise that even though I face that adversity, that Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the world. The rest that I may not have, he will supply the needs that I have to have. And it's this spark that becomes the fire that sparks, or that becomes a fire, and that fire sparks and can be the point of meeting that changes hearts. Any forces that will attack always comes in the historical reference with fire and smoke. Because what I've learned is there's always got to be a heat source for people to gather around and to cook with. And smoke's a byproduct of it. And what I'm hearing today and I'm seeing in today is I'm starting to see some smoke fires kicking in. It's time to get ready because destruction might be at hand. And I don't want you to be in a place where it's too late for you to ponder the word of God to actually allow it to take root. So that way you have your hope. Jeremiah 6 and 1 says, For the disaster looms out of the north, the promise that it's going to come and it's going to invade everything. Jeremiah was telling us what was coming. We, he was seeing the fires burning and the smoke in the air. But, but it's what we, we don't look for in, in our reasoning and the waiting seasons that we struggle with the most because we live in the imagination. we live in a place where we lose that connection with god so much that we think we're right and we quit talking to him and asking him the questions quit asking him the questions like god why would you love me god why would you let me have this life god why would you let me have the job and the house and the wife or, or, or even have kids or, or the pets? Why would you let me do all these different things? Why do you love me? And even better yet, sometimes we have to ask questions, God, why am I going through this hardship? See, those are the relationships that we have to have with our Heavenly Father and the connection that we have to to pursue after. That's what what Judea was losing. That's what Israel lost sight of. They were not going to the Father and connecting with them. They kept thinking that they were connecting with something, but it wasn't Him because God did not keep His heart in line with them because they put their heart on their other things. What I'm trying to get at is this is a fire in our lives that's putting up smoke and around our lives is supposed to be the beacon of warning that there's something wrong. If I'm driving down the car and my car's putting out black smoke, I know there's something wrong with the engine and I need to get a tune up and looked at I think the same is true for the spirituality that's in our lives as we get so complacent into this world and thinking that the ideas that it might come up with are great and mighty and wonderful. But we don't realize it's taken away our heart, which is meant to be only for God. It's taken us away from the purpose that God has called us to. Like what Isaiah 45 says, And why have I called you for this work? Why did I call you by name when you did not know me? It is for the sake of Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. I am the Lord, the one, there is no other God. I have equipped you for battles, though you do not know me. See, God... Knows you. He knows every fault, every failure, every struggle that you're going to deal with. But he still chose you. He still formed you in your mother's womb. He still knitted you together. He still gives you the breath in your lungs. The heartbeat that that pulsates the blood of life through your body. He's the one that's producing some fire within you to give you the ability to awaken up every single day with the hope that your relationship with him will never let Jeremiah's message come to your heart. Not to have to wake up in the middle of the night and flee and run. Though the world might crumble, (coughs) though the world might crumble, we can take heart. Though the world might hurt, We can heal. Though the world might be impatient, we choose to be the people that wait for the Lord. It's in those places that we have to really get back to the root of it, where we will get countercultural. We will not agree with everything that the world will put at our hands and feet, but we will hold on and hold fast with the knowledge that he loves us. Sometimes that word might be flee the situations. Flee the situations. That's not a word that people expect. I mean, I'm not supposed to go fight like David fought. No. Not every Goliath is meant for you to battle. Can I say that again, Amy? I don't think you guys got it. Sometimes the forces that you come up to that you think are like Goliath, they're not your battle to fight. They never were your battle sometimes. That's where you have to have the relationship with God to know that when he speaks to you to sit down and shut up, you sit down and shut up. That's why when he tells you to fight, you fight. That's why when he tells you to turn right, you turn right. That's when he tells you to turn left, turn left. That's how the relationship's supposed to go. But what we have to come into the understanding is, is that God is the one in control. That when we wait in the season of the wait, We're walking in surrender, saying, God, it's all in your hands. If you'll stand with me this morning. Not even done with my notes. I think I still have 10 more pages left to go. But the point is where we need to be. Because what we have to put clearly in our hearts and our minds every single day is him and the cross. The cross, where my Jesus died for me. The cross, where he hung and suffered excruciating deaths so that the relationship that Jeremiah was trying to awaken up his people to could become the relationship that we would have with our Heavenly Father. Where he put the punishment of our rejection And put it so loud and so clear for us to understand that he loves you. He loves you enough to tell you it's time to be called mighty warriors. It's time to be called sons and daughters of the most high. It's time to put the right label back on and to listen clearly to the word of the Lord. That when he says to flee, you flee without pondering because you've been so connected with him. But when he tells you to fight, you fight. Let me tell you, I don't know what the times are gonna bring. I can speculate all I want to. But at the end of the day, destruction will occur. Tribulations will happen. Even in the waiting season when we don't wanna hear it and God declares it, It's meant to be a purpose for awakening generations after. But we have to be so connected with him that it shouldn't affect us. Outside of tearing our hearts apart, saying, God, help me to be part of that team. Help me to be part of the battle.